You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Father, we are grateful. We thank you so much. Thank you for an opportunity to gather again as your children. Thank you for your manifest presence that is here already. Thank you for every heart, every soul, every person that has come into this auditorium in person and everyone who's watching online. That as an expression of our faith, as an expression of our love for you, we just say thank you. We love you and we're grateful for everything it is that you're doing in our lives, for everything you're doing in our community, everything you're doing in our nation. We thank you for everything that you're doing in the body of Christ. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that we can gather together to worship. Thank you that we can enjoy corporate fellowship. And so, Lord, we just declare out of Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. Ezekiel would say, the Spirit of the Lord entered into me and spoke to me, set me up on my feet. So we ask, Lord, as we just humble ourselves to receive revelation knowledge this morning, to receive your word that is light, we ask that we will be set up on our feet, propelled into action. We would be inspired to move from where we are to where it is that you would have us be. We thank you, our Father. We give you all praise. We thank you because the anointing that makes the teaching, the preaching, the hearing and the doing of your word easy is present in abundant supply. And so, Father, we say thank you. Have your way with us. That burden that we have come into your presence with this morning, we declare it is lifted. And we thank you for joy, an abundant supply of joy that comes from being in your presence. We thank you, our Father, because this is released into our lives. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. We have prayed and agreed. Amen, amen, and amen. Good morning, family. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you in church this morning. Um, I hope I'm not sounding funny. I am. <laughs> you are not nice. <laughs> all right, Oluwa, please fix this. Thank you. Okay, it's great to have everyone. Anybody excited about the 21-day fast? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, we're excited at an opportunity to be able to separate ourselves, you know, and just undertake spiritual exercise. Bishop, as we rightly call him, Demilade has explained everything it is that we need to know about the fast. I'm just going to say one thing in addition, be expectant. Your father is not a Greek god. Uh, he's not an angry um, God is not that God that is watching you and just waiting for you to, to fail and to misbehave. He's merciful, he's kind, he's loving, and he's equally as excited about this time out with you. So I'm saying to you, be deliberate about it, be very intentional, create your schedule, ensure you have adequate time to worship, to pray, and to study the word. Uh, for those who missed Bible study this morning, well, you missed, yeah? Sorry, I have to rub it in, but you missed. Can we please just love on Pastor Ayo Tialo for being such an amazing gift to us in this house. We thank you, sir, and we're very grateful for your ministry. 
Okay, so I mean, he also took us. In fact, when I was listening to him speak, I was like, I wish everybody, I wish the room was full, you know. We would have just wrapped up service around 10.30, just allowed the band just lead us in worship and we shut down service by 10.30. Because everything that I'm literally going to talk about is what he has shared. So you guys are going to make me do the work again. I didn't come for Bible study. Eh? Anyway, for the benefit of everyone who's watching online, because we were only able to broadcast to Instagram, we'll take the message. Amen. But he already established a, a very important foundation that I will be touching on. Um, this month of June, across all of the Elevation Church expressions and life points including, we're running the teaching series called Resilient Faith. Can we say that together, guys? Resilient faith, okay? And I had um, mentioned last week that resilient faith speaks to faith that perseveres, faith, faith that pushes through in the face of adversity, in the face of pain, um, in the face of turmoil, in the face of life-shaping negative events, you know, the faith that pushes through, that holds on to the promise. That faith is not hinged on your ability or your capacity to make anything happen for yourself but it is hinged on the finished work of Christ. And so you push through and you persevere, recognizing that God has given a word, God has promised. If he says to you that you are my dearly and deeply beloved child, then he means it with everything that represents him. Okay, so um, that is the faith we're focusing on. And where we started out last week, just looking through a very critical area that affects each and every one of us at some point in time, you know, and it's pain. So we spoke about pain and three big thoughts that we established um, concerning pain last week. We spoke about the purpose of pain and the types. I spoke about the four quadrants of pain, how that sometimes it's necessary. The types of necessary pain would be things like your birth pain, growth pain, you know, that's stretching, you get a new job, you take on a new role or a new assignment, you're building a business, those types of pain. The second thing, um, second quadrant we spoke about was the unnecessary pain, the one that comes by reason of poor decisions, the one that where you set yourself up to be served breakfast and things like that, that one is on you because you have made poor, de poor decisions, yeah? The third type of pain we also spoke about was um, the one that comes around by reason of the oppression or the oppressions of evil men, you know, generational curses and things like that. Um, and then the fourth was the one that happens by divine permission. So sometimes God would, um, two of the examples that I had used last week were how God would say to Abraham that, look, your children, uh, the, the, the generation coming out of you, you know, they will be in, in the land of oppression for about 400 years and things like that. Um, also, we looked at um, Jeremiah and how God would speak through Jeremiah to say, look, um, Nebuchadnezzar would, the king of Babylon would take my children and, and they will be in captivity for 70 years. And we established the third thought, or well, the second thought in this instance, which is your pain has an expiry date. God has not created you to have you be in pain for perpetuity or in perpetuity. So your pain, whatever it is you're dealing with, whether it is by divine permission, whether it's a stretching or a growing season, whether it is something that you by yourself have used your hands to cause, there is an expiry date. And it's important to understand which of these pains am I dealing with. Then the third thing we also spoke about were just practical ways that you can come out of pain or deal with pain while still in it. Okay, uh, we spoke about the circles of control, of influence, and of concern. And I said that circle of concern is the one that you should not concern yourself with. 
because there are things that are outside of your control to a significant extent. What you focus on are your circles of control and your circle of influence, okay? All right, so just taking it up from that circle of concern, one of the things that I said last week is, for some of us in the room or online, your pain point is the fact that you were born in Nigeria. Especially if it is that your parents used to live abroad. And just at the time they were about to conceive you, they decided to relocate. Some of us are still carrying that grudge and we have not forgiven our parents just yet. So today we're gonna to be talking about us being salt and light. As we all know, today is the day that we celebrate, uh, what do we celebrate today in Nigeria, guys? Democracy Day, okay? Um, I heard that. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's Democracy Day in Nigeria, and just in case you're here, you're wondering, what is there to be excited about? What is there to be thankful for? Pastor Aya led us to pray very, um, very spiritedly uh, for Nigeria. And I just suspect that there are one or two people in the room or online who didn't bother to pray. Because you're like, well, we've been here, done that. We've been at this matter for what now? Some 40 plus years-ish, yeah? And nothing seems to have changed significantly. If anything, it looks like the situation is worsening. I'm here to remind you this morning, part of resilient faith requires that we continue to push, we continue to persevere. We continue to persevere like a woman, I was that scripture that speaks about us being in labor and traveling, you know, until we see uh, the salvation, we see the thing that is, we've been believing for, we see it come into manifestation. And perhaps you're in the room or you're online and you're also wondering, but all of the prayers we have prayed, why hasn't anything changed? Can I say to you that the prayers you have prayed have kept and preserved you and I and a ton of countless others. And that is something to be thankful for. Imagine if we were in prayer. And yes, I agree that we're a very religious nation. I agree that there are countries that are not half as religious as we are, but things are working. And that's part of what we want to figure out this morning. What is going on exactly, okay? What is on the Father's heart? And I'm excited for this fast as well, and I hope you are, because part of what we get to do also is just as we wait in God's presence, we also receive you know, instructions from Him. He reveals to us deep and secret things. I hope that for someone in the room, part of what you're seeking to know in the next 21 days is just engaging God over Nigeria. I hope that God, we spoke about faith projects about two or so weeks back. I hope that the Spirit of God has impressed upon your heart a faith project that you need to travel and, and, and look to God for in the next 21 days. So, I'm gonna tell a story and then I'll go right into my notes. Um, so there was a man, a young man named Solomon, uh, some, I guess some 40 odd years back, yeah? And Solomon was a very bright student, very intelligent. This is a true story, by the way, I was told. Very intelligent young man, um, came from a really poor background. His father rejected him. Um, his father didn't contribute anything to his schooling, his well-being, his welfare. Um, his mother, on the other hand, trained him. You know, she used to be a gari seller. And so she would, 
you know, she, she would trade Gary. He grew up, of course, having to trade with his mom just so he could go to school. He took on a number of odd jobs to be able to put body and soul together, including teaching and all that. He was a very brilliant science student and eventually had an opportunity to go to the United Kingdom for studies. Um, he got a, scholar, a partial scholarship, but then the challenge around um, paying the rest of his school fees came. As at that time, government used to grant um, scholarships and all that. Uh, he was, unfortunately, he didn't get it. I think by the time they did a deep dive, they found that he was supposed to, but somebody else had lobbied for the sport and got the scholarship in his place. So his mom had to sell stuff. She had to sell her belongings just so he could go. Solomon went on to the UK, um, studied chemistry um, and some biomedical science uh, course. He was so good that he didn't need to do a master's. His, um, his university gave him a PhD scholarship. And so he went on to do a scholarship from his first degree. Moving on from there, of course, it was time to get married and things like that. He decided he was going to come home to serve. After he had gotten married, his wife had joined him there. They had a beautiful daughter, and then he decided, oh, I wanted to come and serve my country. I would come and do youth service. I would also come and invest all of this, you know, brilliance and help develop my home country. He was so passionate about his nation. Solomon comes home with his family, and the first shocker hits him, no job. Solomon would go every day looking for a job, eventually had to settle, I mean this was a PhD holder, eventually had to settle for a job um, in a filling station, a gas station, um, as some sort of manager there, earning peanuts that was barely enough to transport him to work. On one fateful day, Solomon goes on his way to work. Solomon collapses at the bus stop because he had not been feeding well. Remember he had a wife and a child. He didn't even have money enough to rent an accommodation. Now, Solomon left the UK where there were bright prospects for him. He had an opportunity to work with the university that he, in fact, he had started some sort of um, partial, what's that, teaching assistant job, um, as a, some part-time lecturer job, but he was so insistent on coming to serve his fatherland. And so on this day when he would collapse at the bus stop, he was living with his senior brother, by the way. Um, his wife, obviously, everybody was depressed and all. Eventually, he gets a job with the Ministry of Science and Technology, and that begins his career in civil service. Uh, he would rise very fast because of his brilliance and, of course, his passion and his dedication to work. But Solomon saw things that kept him up at night, things that became prayer points in his family, just around the work culture and work ethics of the civil service, around the way you know, people treated government resources as though it was a national cake to be shared. And if you tried to stand in the way, they would take you out, literally. And so he was faced with a lot of opposition and he struggled. He struggled because 
passion, commitment, dedication began to war against joining the norm, fitting into status quo, which was what he met on ground as a young person. Nonetheless, he goes ahead. He had an opportunity to start to represent Nigeria um, at the Netherlands and other Commonwealth um, meetings uh, as a chemical weapons specialist. As at that time, he was the only chemical weapons specialist in the country. And so some of his reporting had direct um, line to Asso Rock. Then came a time where what he was qualified for, what he needed to have, which was a relocation with his family to the Netherlands just so he could continue to represent Nigeria there um, as some sort of diplomat. That opportunity came and it didn't happen. It took three different presidents to intervene on the matter, but for some weird reason, it just didn't happen. Call it God's will, call it divine happenstance, but Solomon became a very depressed man because he felt everything that he had, he had given to this nation that refused to do right by him. Solomon, by the way, was my dad. He's late now. But I share this story because I grew up seeing, I mean, there were certain names that were prayer points in my house, from the late General Sonia Bacha, to interim government, Enesunekon, uh, to Yara Dua. I saw different generals hold my father by the hand and literally go take his file, just so that all Nigeria needed to do was for the president to ratify a decision, just sign off on it and my family would have been in what now? I guess I would not be in life point, probably not married to my husband. Again, let's not focus on all the things that would not have been. And let's just stick with the story. But that was it. And I watched my father become a shadow of himself because he felt very let down by a failed system. Everything that he had, he believed he had given, into, given to it. And so that very energetic man who looked for ways to ensure that the work he did, his sphere of influence, he thrived in it and they were making changes, just began to, you know, just coast along with every other thing. He died uh, as a director, you know, at um, one of the ministries, uh, sorry, one of the parastatals in the Ministry of Science and Technology there. He died as a director. But, I mean, that was the highest he, 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 he could have attained at that time, as it were, um, before age kicked in, and of course he had to be retired and all that. Now, I know that we all have stories of letdown that we can decide to share concerning our nation. And I know that at some point in time, you have witnessed or you may have witnessed stuff happen from answers to losing dear, dearly loved ones, you know, to failed um, health systems, people who didn't need to die, who died just because, just because there was no power, just because, you know, a doctor was not around to, 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 to make a call. We can go on and on about the issues, but let's see what the word says. Let's see what the word of God says as we encourage ourselves and we continue to persevere. We continue to hope and trust that God doesn't leave us in this nation. He will not leave us. That's what his word says. 
that we have a reason to continue to push, maybe not for your sakes, but the sakes of your children coming. We all cannot, which country wants to feed us all? And I know that we're all jackpying. There's a major brain drain happening right now in our, in our nation. This particular hospital that I went to and a lot of the good hands have all left. They have all left. While that is happening and you're seated here or watching online, the question to ask yourself in this season and at this time is, God, what will you have me do? And just in case you're asking yourself, I'm too young or too little to do anything, I think you should still just, you know, leverage the 21 days of waiting on, on God for instructions and just be, uh, what's the word, developing intimacy with him to ask him this question. What would you have me do about everything that is going on? For all you care, all you need to do may not be so grand. It might just be the little things, starting out with the little things in your immediate sphere of influence. Jesus would say, and I remember quoting that scripture last week, the children of the world are wiser than the children of light. And that is one scripture that infuriates me quite a bit. Not because I don't love Jesus or I don't appreciate his words. I'm just being real with you guys here. But because it is almost paradoxical, or is it oxymoron now, when you put two words, how, how, how will children of light, light should by default translate to wisdom. Light should by default, default translate to, you know, a, a, a superior level of wisdom being displayed and in the execution of things uh, and, and in life and in living. Why would that same, um, the same set of people that are supposed to carry light be the same ones that are struggling to cause their light to shine? Hence what we were talking about and we're just reminding ourselves today that we are salt and we are light. So let's read, let's see what the scripture says. And my first reading will be from the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 from verses 13 to 16. Please read with me. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16 is an instruction. It says, let your light, and this is Jesus telling us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Two words jump out there, light and good works. Light and good works. It is okay to infer that the quality of light that you shine or the intensity of your light is directly proportional to the output of your good works. We can infer that. So the greater your light or the greater the intensity of your light, where it is not covered, where it is not hidden, because that light metaphorically can be seen to mean, you know, Jesus, the presence of Jesus in our lives. Okay, it is also the same word that translates to revelation, knowledge, you know, superior wisdom. So if all of that light, according to Jesus, and Jesus isn't saying, let your light shine in the church. He's saying, let your light so shine before men. The people who need to see your light, let it shine. Stop hiding it because of the things that are not working. Stop hiding it because of the you know, the pain it is that you have been dealt or the hard blow or the, the failings of a system 
or of a nation. Because you carry light, because you carry the presence of Jesus, because the Spirit of God indwells you, let it shine. Let it flow out of you, that it can influence the people around you. Pastor Ayer said something during Bible study today. He said, look, we've been praying for so long. Christians have been here, we're very religious for the last 40 years. And it looks like the situation and the oppression is just getting worse and worse. Why is that? Because the church has failed to take its place. The church has failed to allow its light shine. And the church is not the building, I hope you know that. The church is you and I. We make up the church. So what are we doing differently? What will our generation do differently? Will we continue and let this, this state continue to persevere? Are we going to just sit and fold our hands and all of us will run away? What about your family members that can't run or have nowhere to go to? What about your children and your children's children coming after you? What will you do differently? What will you do differently? Isaiah 26 verses 1 to 3. It says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up, he here is God, sets up salvation as walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful and trustworthy. The righteous nation may enter, the ones that remain faithful and trustworthy. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace, perfect and constant peace. I'm reading the Amplified Translation. The one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you in both inclination and character. In both your leanings and in your doing. So it is not enough for you and I to profess. And this is why I said, if you miss Bible study, the, I mean, the message was already preached. It is not enough to profess that we are children of faith, that we believe in Jesus, that we are redeemed, adopted, and accepted, and dearly loved. What does that translate to in our day-to-day -day engagement with people who do not know the light, who have not encountered light? How are we engaging the market systems of the world with our lights? Do we keep our light and conveniently shine it in places where we are, we, we? Where you see BWS and Demilade and, you know, Chine and, oh, our light is shining brightly. That's too much light. Your light needs to shine where people don't see, where people do not have light, where they are lacking in light. In the coming days, some of the things that we'll be announcing to the church, because FYI, LifePoint is no longer just a church. We're a movement and an army of young people that needs to shine our light. According to the army, the order in Joel 2 and in Zechariah 1 and some parts of chapter 2, where scripture says there is a problem and God would say, look, there are horns that have arisen, powers, principalities that have arisen, you know, and are suppressing, keeping the heads of my people bowed down. And so God would say his response to that is to raise craftsmen, men and women of skill and understanding, men and women filled with the Holy Ghost. And what is their work? They will terrify the horns. That is the people that God has called us to be. That is the generation that we are, the army arising, that will not break its rank. The army arising, that will scale over walls to meet people where they are. 
We are not waiting for them to come into the four walls of this church anymore. We are going out to them. We are going to meet them where they are. So we will say unusual things. Non-traditional initiatives will come forth. We're just asking, allow the Holy Spirit speak to you these next 21 days so you can catch the vision. Amen? Because when we say we want to have something at W bar now, or we want to hang out somewhere, and it is very safe, it's a covert operation. Before you, you are the first one that would wrinkle up your nose and say, what is the church doing there? It's not business as usual, guys. It's no longer business as usual. There is an urgency to the call. And we trust that each and every person will put their hands to this plow and say, Lord, use me, here I am. Amen. So, what else? Two things that I want to talk about, uh, two types of righteousness. So there's what we call coram dio. It's the Latin word meaning in the presence of God. Want me there? Is there a slide? Okay. In the presence of God. And this is the righteousness that is imputed by faith through grace. It's the righteousness of our identity. The fact that we've been saved, we've been redeemed, accepted. That's the first type of righteousness. Not by our works, but by grace through faith. Okay? Or by faith through grace. Now, the second type of righteousness is Koram Mundo. And it is the righteousness in the eyes of the world. Okay? So a person is righteous, coramundo, when she or he is in a right relationship with the rest of creation. And this is demonstrated through actions. All right? So how we demonstrate this, it's, it's, uh, the word is also, mean, um, is also translated to mean civil righteousness. Okay? What you do, um, how you shine your light, how you assault that the men and women of the world can interact with and they see that there is a notable difference between you and them. And then they start to ask you about your God. I think that over time, we some, somewhat have assumed that the number of times we call the name of Jesus in conversations and the number of times we say, God bless you, and the number of times we, you know, are very Christian in our approach is what will make people know that we, are, we belong to Jesus or cause them to be attracted to us. But a lot of us know that that is what is a major turnoff in our generation. How many people are aware? It's a turnoff. It's a major turnoff. People don't want to hear about Jesus. Sad, but that's the stark reality. And so when Jesus will say the children of the world are wiser than children of light, how are you bringing your light to bear in the face of such stark revelations? The fact that the way our parents' parents used to do evangelism in those days, that they would go on the road with bells and stuff and me megaphones and tracts, that it's not really yielding results today. Jesus understood the importance of hearing the language and the sound of a generation. And that is what we are positioned to receive in this season. There is a sound and there is a language. How do we reach them? How do you, by yourself, be light in your own sphere of influence? Through your actions, through the works of your hands. Through the works of your hands, through your actions, okay? So, civil righteousness. Uh, we see how Jesus would, you know, castigate the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. And he would just say to them, guys, all you know, you want to just fulfill the laws of Moses. You want to pay tithe. You want to do this. You want to just fulfill the law. But you are so insular. Everything about your life 
is insular. It is not attractive. It is not drawing people to us. You, you, you go in this whole righteous piety. And guess what? Some of us are like that. We are young, but we are ancient in our minds, as it were. We have adopted ancient behaviors and, and, and ways where we are very quick to judge. You don't have to say a word, but in your heart you have judged a person. How? Even if the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to reach that person, there's already a blockade because your mind cannot conceive it. It's not possible. You have condemned that person to hell already. That co-worker. You have condemned her to hell. Actions. Actions. So civil righteousness, the will to be right and to do right while rejecting wrong, doing the truth, doing it in love, you know, uh, duty of care, justice and equality of opportunity, dignity of labor, honesty in public life. You see this labor matter, this dignity of labor or dignity in labor. See, a Christian that if you don't have a job or you are looking for a job actively, it's fine. But to sit and say that God will provide and do nothing, you are not shining lights. You are, you are eaten off. Okay? And I know that sounds possibly harsh, but I'm speaking to people who are not making any efforts, any effort whatsoever. You are waiting that God will divinely supply. You're waiting for money back to just fall from heaven for you and your needs will be sorted. Kill. Value for human life. How do you treat other people? See, we are in a country where the value for human life right now is what? Zero. But how are we going to change that? We've been talking about these things for quite a while. We have. We're in a country where you see people who, I remember something that happened when I was really young. Um, maybe not so young because I still remember. And my father shared a story with us of how he went to work and on his way he saw um, someone who was epileptic. And you know, in Nigeria, we're very quick to figure out, I mean, we're very quick to assume that something is maybe the manifestation of demonic oppression, or is the devil that is at work. And so everybody will first leave the person. So he saw the way the person was convulsing and all. So he packed his car, got out of the car, went there, and got water, just poured some water. So he, he asked people to give space. Everybody's just there looking, like it was a show. So he was able to stabilize the person. But you know something? That exact thing happened to me when I was in uni as well. I think I was in 200 level. And we were, we just finished studying my, my, some of my friends from the library. And there was this elderly man who just passed out all of a sudden in front of the library um, area um, and started convulsing. And then I remembered that story. I'm not a science person. I don't even know the science of why you have to pour water, you know. But I remember the story my father told me. And I ran there. I will not lie. It was with a lot of fear and trembling. What if this is not the one that they described? What if this is really demonic manifestation and the demon, demon will stand up and slap me? So I did what I knew to do, which was I ran there and I began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And I asked for water. Fortunately, there was a place where they sell this. If you went to Unilag, they, they sell like toast bread and water and, and you know, toast. Yeah. There was water there, so they brought me water. Of course, everybody, your students just gathered around and were observing the scene. So I did what I remembered my father said to, he did then. I just poured water on his head and the guy stabilized. And 
And then after a while, he got up. I helped him up. I had a chat with him. What's going on? Apparently, he's epileptic. And, you know, he just went on and on about how this had sort of messed up his life because it catches him unawares. Like, he would just be going and he would just fall into a fit. And I remember holding hands with him that day and just praying and agreeing with him that he was healed. I never saw the man again. Well, my point is, we're in a country where we really don't value human lives. And I know that we need to be safe as well. Some people tell you, oh, sometimes it's a setup. Um, sometimes people have tried to do good deeds and they have fallen victims of armed robbers and assassins. Follow the Holy Spirit inside of you. Let him lead you. We cannot become too afraid to, be, to, to, to then we hide our lights. We're living in, in, in a lot of fear in our nation. And so people who naturally will do good works or as enabled by the Spirit of God, we withdraw and we, we hold it in. Why? Because we are afraid. Greater is he that is in you. Let the Holy Ghost lead you. Let the Holy Ghost lead you. As you spend time in fasting this season, I want to just believe that you will let yourself loose and let the Spirit of God just unearth every potential that the Father has placed inside of you. That you will come out and come into the fullness of who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Lastly, as I wrap up, I want to talk about someone very exemplary in the scriptures who did this and we can learn a whole lot from. And his name is Nehemiah. Amen. Nehemiah. And we see a couple things that we can learn from Nehemiah's life when it comes to civil righteousness. The first thing is he built and he sustained a solid reputation of character with his boss, the king. If you know the story of Nehemiah, you would be aware that he existed at a point in time where the children of Israel were in captivity already, okay? And they had been taken into, some of them were still in their land, some of them were in Babylon. And he was serving the king. And we see how he became the king's cupbearer. But one day he gets a notice, he gets an information that, look, this is happening. And he asked about the wealth of his people that were still left in the land. The expectation is that they were thriving more than he was, but apparently not. They were in a worse situation. Scripture speaks about the broken down walls and the burnt down gates. That was the state of anarchy that they were dealing with there. And so he became really depressed. What are the things that are ongoing in our nation today that gets you in that place of pain? What is that thing? Or have you become so complacent you've shielded your heart so much that nothing gets at you anymore and it's okay to protect your heart hear me clearly because i know that this nation has been a source of depression for some people and i know it is important that you shield your heart but i'm saying to you today would you let the holy spirit reveal to you what is on the father's heart perhaps there is a way he needs you to collaborate perhaps there's a story you need to write perhaps there is a song you need to sing perhaps there's a there, there, there is a, a you know there is a collaboration that needs to happen perhaps there's a there's an official appointment for you that you've closed your mind and your heart to perhaps there's public service calling to you perhaps in your own current community there is a change there is a life to be touched there is an industry to shape there is someone to help there is a family to sustain that is attached to your name. There is someone's school fees, a child's school fees to be paid. Perhaps there is encouragement that you need to give to someone who has given up hope completely. And to point them to the cross and help them see that God loves them. 
But when we become so consummated with our own pain and the issues that we're dealing with in this nation, we prevent ourselves from being used of God in a way and manner that only He can. There is a plan and a purpose, guys. You're not in Nigeria by accident. Whether you were born here, whether you relocated here, it's not an accident. There is a plan and a purpose. So we see how he built character with his boss so much so that he could place a demand and say, this is, in fact, his boss knew what was off with him. How many of us are applying ourselves in our jobs? How many of us are trustworthy? How many of us have earned that goodwill, that capital, for, you know, for, to be able to effectively engage your boss on conversations? Or would they shut you up and say, you, quality of work, zero. Initiative, zero. Problem solving, zero. Are you that one? Now is the time for you to course correct. Another thing he did was he developed a deep sense of responsibility towards his nation. He would pray and then he would step out to do something. What we do a lot of times in our generation is we pray. In fact, actually in, our, in the generation before us, is we pr they pray. Some take action. In our generation, we're not even praying. How many people agree? Aside from the time you come to church and you pray, when was the last time you personally by yourself prayed for Nigeria? Think about it. For as long as you exist here, and I know you are probably praying for Canada, and you're praying for the UK and the US, it's okay. And for those watching online who are not Nigerians, we encourage you, pray for your country, pray for your place of abode, okay? But for as long as you're in this nation, for it to yield its increase for you, you need to invest in it. You cannot sow where you did not. You cannot, what's the word now, reap where you didn't sow. And even you are not meant to, actually, it's not all the time you would reap where you sowed. Some of you will have reaped in Nigeria and doors of nations have been opened to you, international doors, amen. That's the one we want, I know. So, he invested. The third thing he did, he maintained resilient faith for problem solving. In the face of a demotivated team, I mean, go and read the book of Nehemiah. Sambalat, Tobias, you know, and what's the other one's name? Gershon, uh -huh, who decided that this matter, it will not end well for them. It will not end well for everybody who's building. It will not end well for anybody who's trying to fix what has been established. The powers and the principalities at work, the things that they had set in motion. You now, who are you? From where? You now want to come and change it. So he had to push through with prayer, encouragement, encouraging his team. He went on the word, the strength of the word that he had received from God. He enjoyed favor. He enjoyed favor. Favor with the king. The king used his leadership capital and his authority for him. Again, what relationships do you have that God has strategically placed around you that you are not maximizing or you're not even, you know, doing good for those relationships? Our lives are very strategic, just so you know. The families that you came out of, and I'm sure someone is wondering, is that so not possible if I think about the construct of my family? It cannot be. But think about it. Possibly you would not have built the kind of character you have built. Your journey would not have gone this way if all had been nice and dandy with your family. Think about it. So what else? He taught and he replicated kingdom values. He became an advocate for kingdom standards. There was a time that he by himself had to course correct because he realized that 
there was something that they were charging the children of Israel, his, his people, that they weren't supposed to. And he was also guilty. You know, they were paying the people who had held them in captivity. But the people paying for them were also using them in the same way that they had tried to free them. And so he had to change that. Sometimes your journey will bring you in direct contact with laws and policies that you will need to champion a change for. What is important is that we begin to find ourselves and gravitate one to another. And God is very intentional. As he puts that burden on your heart, you will start to see people who share a similar burden that you can collaborate with. Part of why things haven't changed in this nation is because children of light want to do things in silos. Me, myself, and I, there's a lot of mistrust. And I'm sure you, can, you guys know what I'm talking about from the last elections. Everybody believing that until I run my own personal agenda, Nigeria will not change. The church needs to come together. And God is counting on you and I to, to facilitate this. Amen. Lastly, be accountable to God. The fear of God was evident in all of Nehemiah's dealings. You cannot do this by yourself. Okay? And so if you're going to go in the strength of the one that has sent you, you need to be accountable to him. In this season, God will give very specific instructions. There are things that he would ask you to let go of. He will test for your obedience. Amen. Your ability to prove your faithfulness in the little things will determine how much is being released to you. Let us pray. And as we pray, I just want you to think about it. What righteous action can you take in this season? What righteous action do you need to take? Do you need to... Um, you know, start with the little things like disobeying traffic rules. Are you one of those who break traffic lights? How can you start? And it sounds really foolish because we are in a country where nobody really respects the traffic laws except they see traffic officers there. How about you start with that? Maybe that's your own little where you're starting from. It's okay to start from there. Injustice, child abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, irresponsible waste disposal. I hope that there is nobody that is a member of this LifePoint community that still throws trash out of their windows. Disposes trash just anywhere. Please don't be that person. Start with the little things. You cannot be complaining that the nation is dirty, it's filthy, and you are contributing to the filth. So this morning, just pray and ask God for courage to take action in whatever it is that he's inspiring you to do. In the little things, in the big things. Pray for grace and the wisdom to execute. And I want you to pray for yourself as well, that the purpose of God, according to election, will be fulfilled and established in your own life, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We give you all praise. We ask God that you continue to have your way with us. Open our eyes to see as we commit to the next 21 days, just waiting on you and, and, and listening for your instructions and your leading. Let your will be done. Kingdom of God come. And Father be glorified through and through. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.